0: Does your wealth align with your values? In what ways does your wealth affect your decision-making? How does wealth impact your family dynamics? These are the big questions. We'll help you answer on your road to wealth savviness. Join Amar Shah and his guest experts in the Savvy Wealth Podcast as they share insights and stories to help align your wealth with your values and family dynamics.
1: Hello and welcome to another podcast with Amar Shaw. Today we are going to talk about a very, very important topic when it comes to families of wealth, and that topic is blending families of wealth and blended families of wealth. And uh, you know, Amar, as we usually start these podcasts, one of the things that I'd like for you to do is tell us the operational definition of what you're talking about. What, what, how do you define a blended family?
2: Yeah, Matt. So, uh, blended families—you know, blended families could be married couples in which one or both spouses have children from previous marriages. Families with children who are in second or subsequent marriages, and/or have children from previous marriages. It's really a blending of two different families together. I want to make sure that we're cognizant of that this could happen to mom and dad. This can happen to children. This could happen to grandchildren, right? So, hmm. so this complexity of blended families happens at three different layers that can really impact a family in family dynamics and how financial planning is done in the long run.
1: Okay. Can, can you give us an example of, one, when planning is not done correctly, uh, what goes wrong? And then when planning does go correctly, what could potentially go right?
2: Yeah. So for an example, when planning is not done right, say you're in your second marriage and one of the spouses were to predecease. Let's just use the, the husband because <laughs> as guys, we tend to, yeah. to, to pass away earlier. So, yeah. so just actuarially speaking, it's, mm-hmm. it's nothing against guys or anything like that. <laughs> the husband passes away. He hasn't updated his beneficiaries on his IRA and it has his previous spouse. Now, you could have done all the right wills trust all the estate planning documents, but IRA's transferred by operation of contract, and it's whatever's written as the beneficiary on your IRA so you could have accidentally made your previous spouse the beneficiary of your IRA. Wow that could cause problems It could cause big problems, yeah. especially if you have children from different marriage. You know you could have two children from your previous marriage, two children from your current marriage, and now you've disinherited three three people that you're intending those funds to to potentially go to provide income for
1: and And that's disinheritance by by a mistake, right? and And after you're gone, if the 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 husband of that situation is gone, I mean there there's not a lot that can be done about that, right?
2: No. I mean, uh, this was a case that was litigated in the state of California. And the end result was the previous spouse was entitled to, to that IRA because it was an operational contract. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, to give you an example of where good communication, good preparation has gone well, I would say, imagine if you had a, a family business where your children were involved, from your first marriage and uh, children from your second marriage have nothing to do with that business. In this case, we created a family limited partnership where the children started buying ownership of the business through the trust. Everything is documented. There was fair communication. In fact, there was a life insurance policy bought to help fund the, the children from the second marriage so that, you know, there were also assets transferring that way that were not Tied to the business, there was annual family meetings around the communication of what the intentions were for the family, and everything was executed how mom and dad wanted. Hmm.
1: Let's talk about those two words that you just used because you and I both read this article by Doctor James Grubman, uh, who is a expert in communication and in this sort of family planning. When when he refers to the two most important things being communication and preparation. Let's talk about communication first and and what he's referring to and how you refer to it. And then then let's talk about preparation.
2: So You're asking the heart of communication. Why is communication so
1: important? Right. And what types of communication? Thanks. That's a good uh, point of clarification there, man. Uh, That sounded really good in my brain, but uh, I guess it didn't come out as good. When when it comes to this sort of planning, what what does Dr. James Grubman and what do you mean by, because you just used the word communication, Like what sorts of communication do you need to have? When does it need to start? Things like that. Does that make more sense?
2: Yeah. I mean, I believe communication, so so it is a balancing act, right? Because there is some privacy or there is some desire to keep things private and not let other individuals know or to, to say, hey, we have all these assets or it is a balancing act between keeping things private and making sure people are prepared. In the, in the method of communication that, that I'm talking about here is making sure that there is place some understanding of what your intentions and wishes are. Because the part of the communication that where there's a gap is that everybody has their own perspective, you know, children, adult, husband and wife. So everybody has their own perspective in the family. And with that perspective, there are assumptions that are made and heartbreak or the, the disconnect becomes when those assumptions don't align with your what your intentions were, gotcha. And so, so that communication happens through mediums of a, having a family meeting, and it's not the first family meeting. This is you have the first family meeting. There's a lot of emotional baggage that may come out, right? And it's not until the second or third meeting where you actually feel that hey, we have a, a plan that we're all comfortable with and, all
1: right. and moving forward. Well, let's talk about then preparation, uh, just because. You do have to prepare for this. You have to be prepared for the emotional stuff. But as the family, what sort of preparation do they need to do before you have this level of communication, especially with the family meeting?
2: Yeah. So documents, I would say the first thing is documents need to be updated. When there is a second marriage that happens, while everybody is happy, looking at a prenup, for example, to to make sure that it's very clear. That, you know, while, you, while two individuals still like each other, that all the cards are kind of organized, if you will. The rights and obligations, if they do divorce or if, you know, there's a life event, you know, that, that could help. Distributions to their children, their, their prospective children, like what would you like to see happen? You know, there's also a time component to this. So a, as we're doing the initial planning, five, 10 years later, there could be an adjustment made for of time's gone by. You're more integrated as a family. You know, the desire that which child will be uh, executor or trustee of the overall estate, because you don't want to put, and I've seen it, where, where you have a blended family and the eldest child from, let's just say the husband's side, is the uh, going to be trustee. Now you have siblings that, that may not get along. They, there could be some discord, and that could cause some family dynamics within itself. Sure. Maybe, maybe, uh, Matt, maybe I can give you some examples. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Give me, give us some examples. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let's say uh, you have husband and wife on their second marriage. They're 77, 75. One of the spouses, let's just say the husband, needs long-term care. And so where are we drawing these assets from? Are we drawing it from the husband's assets that they brought prior to uh, this marriage? Or is it the assets that they accumulated together? Because this will draw down different piles of money will draw down at different rates and they can have different impacts on the children. And using that same case, let's say the husband passed away and now there's just uh, the surviving spouse. And now you have children from his marriage and, and her marriage. And the surviving spouse now needs care and is depleting the assets. You know, you could have an income beneficiary of, of that trust and the children be the end beneficiary. But you you know, that could also lead to some discord or even litigation because you've delayed the inheritance to the children that may need it now, because they, they could be in their fifties or sixties at, at that point. Sure. Another example. Is uh so let's let's think of grandparents and you know one spouse passes away and you're in your mid-70s to eighties and you're looking for companionship and you could potentially get remarried. It's not uncommon for, for individuals. I mean for some people it's you know <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about, but uh I have seen people in their late 70s get remarried, their children also have children, uh grandchildren could could, could marry. Somebody else that may have children from a previous marriage, and that individual, you know, job stability may not be so high. You know, how are you going to make those assets fair and blend through that whole family? You know, th- there are definitely some complexities that could uh, that could happen there. Yeah,
1: I want to dive into those complexities just a little bit deeper uh, in just a second. But you made the you, you talked about a, a prenup beneficiaries, executors, trustees, and trusts. Is there something called a post Is there a post nuptial agreement?
2: There are, you know, those tend to be challenged more frequently. No, um, I'm not an attorney oh, or, sure, sure. or anything like that. But from, from my knowledge base, I would say the best time to, to start to have these conversations is when everybody is on the same page, yeah. which is typically in the beginning of a relationship. Hey, if we were to, to blend our families together, what would you like to see happen if you were to pass away? Gotcha. Or if, well, what would I like to see happen if I were to pass away?
1: Now I want to dive in a little bit deeper uh, to to the, the communication and and preparation when it comes to frequency, because in what I just heard you say about you know it could be your you know your 80 70 year old uh, matriarch and patriarch who who or matriarch who gets remarried, right? But then if their kids or their grandkids get remarried or have children, documents need to be changed. Omar, um, how often? And do you provide your clients with some sort of triggering event list? Uh, I mean, it seems like you would have to be meeting with the family pretty often
2: just to make sure that you're not missing anything. Is that a? Am I right on that? Or yeah, so most of our families that we work with, you know, we're talking at least six times a year, throughout the year, and things change. And and one of the questions that we may ask is. What has changed since the last time we spoke? Are there any new updates you know, within your family when we have conversations that are specific to state planning? you know that may happen on an annual basis, but it is it's kind of it's kind of a blend of episodic events and doing it on a systematic basis because the backdrop of all of this is you know tax laws can change you know when we had uh in two thousand seventeen the tax cut and jobs act you know it capped the state deduction to 10,000 and you know there could be beneficiaries that that are well beyond that and there could be beneficiaries that are below that it could be, there could also be beneficiaries that are just using the standard deduction, right? And so you're know, transferring property, for example, where you know, mom and dad were paying the property taxes now to the children, but the children use the standard deduction. So now they're not going to be able to take advantage. So, so, so there's definitely complexities with tax law that may require uh, more frequent meetings. But I, I would just say we're engaged with our clients on an ongoing basis, mm-hmm. and we have a specific conversation around our state planning at least once a year.
1: Now, when you're working with these families of wealth, a lot of them have worked with people previously. Um, is it normal to meet with somebody and have that level of ongoing communication? Or is that what you have found is one of the difference makers and kind of puts you above and beyond anybody who would be technically your competition?
2: I would say we do it better than anybody else. <laughs> but um, so, so what I would say is that if you go to a big firm they probably have complex planning specialists but the scope of advice that they can give and how integrated they can be with your attorneys and other professionals may not be to the level that the big firm is comfortable with so so they definitely have guidelines or or, or rails put put around that in terms of the advice that they can give the other part of that is that most estate planning conversations stop at, uh, these are the things that you need to do. And then there's no actual implementation. And so what we try to do is, and I like to keep things simple. So for all of our state planning meetings, think of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And we draw like a flow chart. This is what you have happening. Are these still your intentions? Now here's the tax bill at the end of life that your children will have to pay. This is where the liquidity will come from to pay that tax bill. Is this, are you so comfortable with this? And, and that conversation will jog different things within the family dynamic. Let me just share uh, something that, that could be potential here is that you could have in a blended family, you could have uh, children from one, uh, one spouse that are extremely successful and that don't need the money. And you could have children from another, from the husband's previous marriage, for example, that probably need more help. And then there's always a conversation where fair is not necessarily equal. And so how do, how do you navigate that together? Going back to having communication and having paired documents around that is a better course of action than not having anything or to say that, hey, I'm going to be dead, so they'll figure it out. If somebody's on social security disability, or something like that, and you leave them a chunk of money, well, guess what? You just kicked them off of social security and disability. So there, there needs to be some level of planning. There needs to be some level of communication to continue the harmony of the family. And I think all people that have families want that. You know, deep down inside, they want that. And, and so that, that's why I think we do it better is that yeah. we take the time to have the, the full conversation and do the implementation and to keep track of it on an ongoing basis.
1: I love that you just said that, you know, families, regardless of their level of wealth, uh, want harmony. And that's a really powerful statement. And making sure that you have really good preparation and really good communication will truly help to maintain or achieve that harmony that almost everybody, I would say, everybody's looking for. Uh, Harmony might mean different things to different people. uh, But overall, it's that sort of balance within the family that the matriarch and patriarch uh, definitely want to make sure is there. Uh, after they're gone. All right, Amar, closing thoughts or statements or anything you want to kind
2: of highlight from today's podcast? Communication, be prepared, and do it on an ongoing basis is what I would say is the key to success in a blended family where there are multiple emotions, there's multiple layers of complexity, and there could be multiple life events that that could move the needle. Thank you, Amar. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I really enjoyed doing this podcast and look forward to doing a couple more here. Fantastic. Well, we just uh, talked about the
1: blending of families of wealth with Amar Shaw here at the Savvy Wealth Podcast. If you have any questions, make sure that you reach out to everybody uh, at the team at Klein First Capital, and we'll make sure that we have all of those pieces of contact information in the show notes. And if you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. And if you know anybody who is a family of wealth, or if you are a family of wealth, make sure that you are sharing this podcast with other people and all of the podcasts that Amar does, because this is information that you want, and because you want to make sure that you have that harmony within your family, just like everybody else wants that harmony in their family. So for Amar, Sean, everybody at Klein First Capital, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the Savvy Wealth Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember, investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Client First Capital LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Client First Capital LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Client First Capital LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.